I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Hey Lurkers, welcome to this week's episode. I bet you've been lurking forward to it for a while now. Thanks to one of our YouTube subscribers for that gem, I did not think it up on my own. Just a reminder that we now have a Lurk Patreon account. For the small sum of $5 a month, you can receive a shout-out on an episode, a sticker, and at least two bonus episodes per month. We just recently posted one of the two bonus episodes for April that features stories from my family's home in Virginia and some EVP. I will be adding other perks in the future, and when I finish editing an episode early, it will be posted on Patreon early. Don't miss out on more to lurk and help support the show while you do it. For this week's episode, we have everyone's favorite topic, missing 411 cases. We'll be looking at three cases in this episode, and all three come from Yosemite National Park. Not only do they come from Yosemite, but all three individuals were last seen in the Curry Village. Yosemite National Park is located in Northern California, and it's nearly 1,200 square miles. The park was first protected in 1864, and is famous for its waterfalls. As far as wildlife, It's home to animals such as black bear, mule deer, bighorn sheep, and many different bird species. There's more wildlife than that, but those are the highlighted wildlife. Located in the heart of Yosemite Valley, just below Half Dome and Glacier Point, is Curry Village, or Camp Curry. It was founded in 1889 by David and Jenny Curry, and was also known as Half Dome Village from 2016 to 2019. It offers a range of lodging options from cabins with private bathrooms, heated and unheated tent cabins, or motel rooms. They stress that it is really like a village in the middle of Yosemite Valley, with shops, restaurants, tours, a swimming pool, and bike rentals. And wouldn't you know it, As I was researching some information about Curry Village, I came across three more cases that I thought were important to include in this grouping. There isn't really much information about them, unfortunately, but since they were also disappearances from Camp Curry, I felt they should be shared with whatever information I could find. So let's jump in. The first is the disappearance of Frank Koneman on June 11, 1925. Frank was 31 at the time and last seen at his tent in Camp Curry. There isn't really any other information out there on the search or anything else. Newspapers.com didn't even have anything, and typically that's where I find the most information. But a FOIA request information does have him listed as missing from Camp Curry. And since Camp Curry was kind of the theme or grouping I was going with, I'm including him. The next is the disappearance of Dickron Knadian, or Nadian, Dickron Nadian, 
Dick Ron was a 20-year-old medical student at Cambridge University in England. He was of Armenian descent and was born in Ethiopia. He spoke fluent English with a pronounced British accent. He was vacationing in Yosemite with plans to travel to and visit Florida after his Yosemite visit. He was an avid photographer and had his Pentax 35mm camera with zoom lens and shoulder strap on his trip. On July 24, 1972, Dick Ron rented a cabin in Curry Village. There wasn't any information I could find about how exactly it came about that he was reported missing, and there were no specifics listed in the news articles. I imagine that his family reported it when they didn't hear from him. His clothes and other belongings, except for his camera, were found in his rented cabin. He had asked the registration attendant how to get to Half Dome, and that was the last anyone interacted with him. He would have been wearing an Omega Seamaster wristwatch with a black band and carrying his camera. In the fall of 1972, Dickron's parents retained Beverly Hills attorney Gustav L. Goldstein, who offered a $2,500 reward leading to Dickron's whereabouts. Goldstein also placed many ads in the personal section and notices and announcement sections of various newspapers in various cities in the area that read, Dick Ron Najin, please contact me on behalf of your parents who are suffering great agony, grief, and anxiety about your failure to write them. The chief ranger, Jack Moorhead, said of the search, We've checked everything, every ride, every concessionaire, all the hiking trails, all the backcountry areas, and we can't locate a trace of him. Dick Ron Najin was never found. And that's going to bring us to the third Curry Village disappearance. That would be the disappearance and alleged murder of Carol Laughlin. Carol was 19 years old, and in 1979, she was working at the Curry Village gift shop as a clerk. While working there, Carol resided in Tent 51 and Curry Camp 6. On September 11, 1979, Carol Laughlin was reported missing. There were no articles about her disappearance that I could find. I'm going to speculate that this was most likely because she was technically an adult and the police must have thought she just left on her own. That wouldn't be very newsworthy. Then on April 28, 1980, Two mountain climbers descending Castaneda Wall at the Big Oak Flat Tunnel on State Route 120 found remains. The remains were badly decomposed and scattered 400 feet below the longest tunnel on the road. The bones were scattered in a 15-foot radius and there were beer cans and other trash in the area. Though no cause of death could be determined because of the advanced decomposition, Basically, they were just skeletal remains. The authorities told her father there was no way she could have fallen down the shaft and that she must have been pushed. Or, possibly, her dead body was thrown down there. I was unable to find any more information about her. There is some thought that she may have been a victim of a serial killer that was operating between 1979 and 1981 called the Trailside Killer. 
His real name was David Carpenter, and he targeted people at California parks. It was found that he was working for a company that supplied items to the gift shop where Carol worked at the time of her disappearance and death. So that's three people so far who have disappeared from Camp Curry, with one of those found dead, in case you're keeping score. The next person is David Huckins. This is another case that doesn't have a ton of information, but the information we do have is creepy and disconcerting. David Huckins was a 21-year-old native of San Jose, California. He had just recently returned to the park from a trip to Fresno with his father. He actually had returned just hours before he was last seen. David worked at the Awani Hotel near Curry Village. The Awani Hotel is located in Yosemite Valley near Half Dome, Glacier Point, and Yosemite Falls. David Huckins was last seen on January 30, 1986, wearing a jogging outfit near Camp Curry. He was reported missing on February 4, 1986, when he didn't show up to work. An extensive search of the Yosemite Valley ensued, but the search failed to uncover any signs of David or clues about his whereabouts. Then, around the beginning of July of 1986, an arm was found near Lower Pine Campground. One week later, a torso and other body parts were found in the Merced River near Happy Isles. The two areas are about two miles apart. It was later determined to be body parts of David Huckins. The authorities were stumped as to the cause of death, and I was unable to find any information about any kind of resolution or cause of death determination. So that's two bodies, two people who have gone missing from the area of Camp Curry and turned up dead. Four people total who went missing from Camp Curry. Now we're going to be skipping ahead a few years to the year of 2000. In April 2000, 45-year-old Irish national Kieran Burke traveled to Yosemite from his home in Dublin for a two-week vacation. On April 4, 2000, he rented a tent cabin at, you guessed it, Curry Village. He was supposed to stay for two days, until April 6, and then check out. He was there visiting Yosemite and a few California wineries, and was set to return to Ireland on April 11th. Kieran was an experienced hiker. He had hiked in India and also hiked in the Himalayas. On April 5th, Kieran was seen by a Curry Village employee talking to a middle-aged man about possibly going for a hike. Later in the afternoon, the employee saw them together in the same area near the front desk. On April 6th, the campground manager contacted the rangers when they found Kieran's belongings still in his tent cabin after he was supposed to have checked out. Then Kieran's rental car was found in a Curry Village parking lot. Park employees watched the car for a couple of days and noted the car never moved and Kieran never showed up. Kieran was the oldest of five children, with two brothers and two sisters. He was married and the father of three boys, ages 10, 8, and 6. His brother Lorcan contacted the Yosemite Search and Rescue when Kieran's wife said she hadn't received his customary daily call from him. Lorcan learned that Kieran was missing 
and that the search was started on April 8th. A 25-member team of searchers were looking for Karen along with a helicopter and five dog teams. Signs pointed to Karen planning to do a day hike, so the search was concentrated in the area around Yosemite Valley and Curry Village. The last known sighting of Karen Burke was on April 5th, when he was seen talking to the unknown man. Officials attempted to identify and locate the man with no luck. The mysterious man was described as being on the shorter side, with gray hair and a beard. During the search, there was one area on the riverbank where the dogs acted like they might have found a scent, but nothing was found. Acting like they might have scented something is not the same as alerting that they did find a scent. It means the dogs were interested in the area, but there was no actual alert. At the time of Karen Burke's disappearance, the weather was sunny and warm for the first few days. Then storms brought rain and snow, and the temperatures ranged between 30 and 40 degrees. On April 15th, cadaver dogs were used in the search but found nothing. On April 17th, search and rescue efforts were scaled back due to poor weather, the length of time he had been missing, and lack of clues as to his whereabouts. Basically, because no one knew where Karen was headed, if he was in fact headed anywhere, the searchers had to wait until some kind of lead came in to narrow down the search. Karen's brother Lorcan, who flew to the U.S. to be there for the search, said that Karen was an intelligent and experienced hiker. He was the type of person that would walk into a room and people would take notice. That, in his Irish accent, would have made him a memorable person. His brother also said that he wasn't the type of person who went off trail, especially in areas he wasn't familiar with. And his doctor said that he was in great shape, based on a recent physical. Searches for Kieran Burke continued through the summer, especially in July and August, when water levels were at their lowest. No sign of Kieran Burke has been found. And now, for the last of our missing persons from Curry Village. And this time we don't have to really fast forward. This disappearance happened in August of 2000, only four months after Kieran's disappearance. 49-year-old Ruthann Rupert had a backpacking trip planned with a group of people. The backpacking trip was supposed to take seven days and was a strenuous 30-mile trip. Afterwards, Ruthann was going to travel to Southern California to visit friends, then head to Colorado for some more hiking. She planned to return home to Florida on August 31st. On August 14, 2000, Ruthann ended up checking into the Yosemite Medical Clinic because of an eye infection. Ruthann had a prosthetic eye. There were some comments that the infection was in her good eye, but I found more reliable information that said the infection was around her prosthesis. She was treated and released, but not in time to join her backpacking group. She ended up reserving a tent cabin at Curry Village for two days and bought a slice of pizza but she never actually stayed in the cabin. When August 31st came and went, the day she was supposed to return home, her family didn't immediately panic. Ruthann had made two other trips to Yosemite, 
and was a very experienced hiker and climber. She had climbed Half Dome more than once. And she had scaled an Argentine peak on December 31st to celebrate the dawn of a new millennium. She also summited Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, despite having a frozen foot. But eventually, after being days overdue, her family reported her missing on September 11th. That same day, rangers found her car in Curry Village with her belongings packed inside. Witnesses said she had talked about going on a day hike from Yosemite Falls to Foresta area. There were also mentions that she was possibly going to attempt to catch up with her backpacking group, and if she couldn't, she would head back. I'm not sure I believe that she went in search of her backpacking group. I think it was more likely, based on her renting a cabin for two days, that she was just planning some day hikes before heading to Southern California. The search focused in the area of Indian Canyon and Snow Creek Trail because she had met a hiker who told her about it and Ruthann had seemed interested in checking them out. Searchers on ground, a helicopter, and dog teams looked for Ruthann, but no trace of her was found. On September 18th, the search was scaled back because there was no way to pinpoint where to look. No one had actually seen her leave camp and her sister said she wasn't the type of person to just go off with strange people. The search focused on the trails mentioned and also areas that people are known to get into trouble. Her family was concerned that she didn't have many supplies with her. She only took a sweater and a few other things, leaving most of her supplies behind. Which is weird, since she would have had the supplies available since she had prepared for a backpacking trip. Ruthann was not married and she didn't have any children. She lived alone and enjoyed traveling. She also did not work and her only family was her sister and niece. There was a lot of emphasis placed on Ruthann's eye infection. Many assume it was in her good eye, as I said, but reports said it was around her prosthetic eye. It was not causing an issue with her sight and a park spokeswoman said the problem was a minor medical issue. It just delayed her enough for her to miss the backpacking trip. Interesting here that more areas were searched for Ruthann, and still, Kieran Burke, who went missing only four months before, didn't turn up either during this recent search. In 2008, Ruthann's backpack was found in Fireplace Creek drainage which was consistent with the route she was said to be taking. Still, no sign of Ruthann herself has turned up. Before we end the podcast, I want to stress something for those who might be hikers or backpackers, or who might be interested in hiking or backpacking. I know I have some listeners who enjoy being in the outdoors. There are seven principles referred to as leave no trace, and I want to touch on them here for a moment. Don't fast forward, this is good and important information, and you'll hurt my feelings and make me cry if you do. The seven principles are plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste properly, leave what you find, be careful with fire, respect wildlife, and be considerate of other visitors. The one I want to really stress is the first one, plan ahead and prepare. 
This means when hiking or backpacking, make sure you plan and prep for weather, the terrain, etc. And make an itinerary of where you plan to go and the approximate time of departure and return. And one other important thing about this is that you should then make sure that there's someone who knows what your plan is. That's part of planning and preparing, is to share that information with someone. Three of the missing persons we talked about today did not tell anyone where they were going, and therefore searchers were basically guessing where to look. If you happen to go hike at a local park, and you don't really have a set plan, when you get there, go into the office or ranger station and make sure the rangers know you're hiking alone and let them know what trail you plan to take. This is actually something that my mom does whenever she goes to hike by herself at one particular national park. She always goes inside, she discusses the trails and where she's going with whoever's on duty, and they know that she's hiking alone. So always make sure somebody knows where you're going. Just in case something happens, someone knows you're out there, knows when you're supposed to be back. And on that note, that's going to do it for this week. Make sure you sign up to be a Lurk patron to help support the show. I know I keep nagging you about that, but hey, if I get 478 more patrons, I can quit my day job and podcast full time. Imagine what I could tell you about then. You can find Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and on LurkPodcast.com where you can also find links to our social media accounts along with the link to the Patreon account. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. And if you have a moment, consider giving us a five-star review. Those who may have liked our page on Facebook, you can actually put a five-star review on Facebook as well. If you have a minute and you're bored at work or waiting for your kids to come out of school or something, take a moment and give us a review. And until next time, keep lurking.